Well, the last few weeks we've been looking at a passage over in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 where he starts off by reminding us what great and precious promises we have received by faith and how that uh, by faith, through faith alone, uh, we've been saved and we've been give, made partakers of the very nature of God. That is, we've been born again. We've been born into his family with kind of, we might say, the DNA of God himself so that we're his children. We're not just... Uh, uh, human beings who are trying our best to live a good life, we are actually miraculous creatures. We are supernaturally, have been supernaturally made a part of God's family. And that's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's just amazing to think that uh, uh, we were by nature, by our human nature, descendants of Adam with a sin nature and Thus, under judgment, under the same wrath of death and judgment, but by God's marvelous grace, amazing grace, he sent Jesus who took on our humanity in order that he might do in his body, he might take on himself the wrath, the judgment, the punishment, and make the payment for our sin in order that now by faith in him we could receive new life so that we're not only forgiven of our past sins, we are actually clothed with the perfect righteousness of God that is in Christ. Now that's just absolutely mind-boggling. And... It should be the thing that gets us on our knees in worship and praise. It should be the truth that starts our day every day and causes us to say, it is not about me, it is about him. And it is not because of me, it is because of him. And it is not to be for my glory but for his glory alone. So that's the gospel. And that's the way Second uh, Peter starts out, remind us that we have all this. But then he says, now that you have received that by faith, now as a Christian, you are to grow. You are to, to add to your faith certain things that are now our responsibility. Now again, this is, he's not saying do this in order to be saved. He's saying, because you are saved, therefore you are to add to your faith. And we saw that he said, first of all, add to your faith virtue. And we said virtue was a, a moral excellence, a determination to, to passionately love God more than we would love sin, more than we would love uh, uh, the world. And so we want to add to our faith this virtue that longs passionately to always put Jesus first in everything. We studied in Sunday school this morning that passage about how that those who have, have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. They have chosen to love Christ 
even if it meant suffering persecution rather than to compromise their faith and choose sin. So, so he said, add to your faith virtue and then to your virtue knowledge. And we said this knowledge does not primarily mean head knowledge. It starts with that. It includes, it certainly involves learning truth that God says about himself. We said it even would mean uh, studying the Bible. Although at the time this was written, there wasn't a New Testament. There wasn't, uh, uh, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. But it, it does involve, for us especially, reading the Bible, studying Scripture, knowing what God says, that kind of knowledge. But we said the main kind of knowledge he's talking about is intimate knowledge. It's the word. The word for knowledge here is the word that means to know intimately, to to have a love relationship with. I used to say, you know, Christianity is not about rules, It's uh, and it's not about religion, I used to say it's about a relationship, and and I still like that. But then I've I've pushed it even one R further. I said it's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's more than a relationship. It's actually about a romance. It's about a romance, and so it's about loving the Lord, knowing Him in that intimate, uh, uh, wonderful way. Of, uh, of putting him first in everything. So then he said, add to your knowledge self-control. And that was the one we looked at the last couple of Sundays, self-control in the sense of dealing with self. Not, not self-control in the sense of restricting my, my food intake and, and trying to be self-controlled in that way, but actually controlling self selfishness and so forth and taking self to the cross and realizing that I am crucified with Christ. Now, the next one it says, and add to your self-control perseverance. Uh, Some of you have other translations. What's some other words that that you have there other than perseverance? Somebody have a a, a different word or has everybody got the... uh, King James. What? Temperance. All right. Sometimes it says temperance. Uh, uh, Let's see. Endurance. Some of them will say endurance. Some of them will say steadfastness. And all those are good translations. All of them are good. The idea that I like the best, though, is this idea of perseverance, continuing, and again, all of them mean that. All of them mean continuing, continuing, continuing in the faith. And now, by the way, this says, add to your faith perseverance. So there, there are two ways, two, two ways that people think of uh, being pleasing to God. One way, and this is the wrong way, one way is by works, by my effort, that I 
that I say to God, okay, God, tell me the kinds of things that you want me to do to please you, and then I'll try to do those things to the best of my ability, and I'm going to try to climb that ladder of goodness and, and, uh, and good works, and I, I'm going to be pleasing to God by my good works. That's a, by the way, that's, that's what that's called, a human religion. <laughs> and every religion in the world approaches it that way. By my sacrifice, by my effort, by my uh, 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 determination, I'm going to... I'm going to be good, and I'm going to be good enough that someday God is going to look at me, and when I die, God's going to say, you did a good job, and now I'm going to let you into heaven. Well, that's, that's terrible. If, if salvation were based on that, we would all be utterly doomed because how good... Do you have to be to go to heaven? Well, you just have to be perfect. That's the only way. Yeah. You have to never, ever sin one sin, and you're qualified then to enter into the presence of a holy God and live in his holy heaven for all of eternity. Well, that's not very good news, is it? I mean, that just kind of leaves us all out. You say, well, but I try really hard. Well, okay. If we all went over to the Grand Canyon and we all lined up, everybody on the whole planet, all lined up and say, okay, now we want everybody here to jump across the Grand Canyon and those who make it to the other side will uh will will be saved well uh nobody'd make it now there would be some people who would actually jump twenty three or twenty four feet or maybe further what's what's the world record for the broad jump anybody know don't huh Twenty-seven feet. Okay, yeah. Don't look it up, but uh, but uh, everybody gets their phone out, sir, and they miss the rest of the sermon. But uh, so they say twenty-seven feet. So there might be some people who jump twenty-seven feet. There'd be others of us that'd just kind of totter over the edge, you know. But the truth is, we're going to all end up the same place. We're going to end up at the bottom in a heap, and uh, and and nobody's going to make it. Well, now those people who believe, well. By human effort, by keeping the law, by doing my best, God's going to be pleased with me. They're going to all end up in the same place too. And some will jump a little further than others, but they all end up in condemnation because we are by nature the children of wrath and incapable. So that's, that's one way. That's one approach. That's the it doesn't work approach. And the other approach, the biblical approach, the New Testament approach is by faith. That there is someone who did live a perfect life. And he never, ever sinned even one time. He never sinned in thought. 
He never sinned in word. He never sinned in action. He never sinned in motive. He never sinned in attitude. He never, ever sinned. Although he was tempted in all the ways just like we are, he never sinned. So he actually fulfilled perfect righteousness and thus was qualified to forever live in the presence uh, in heaven in, in, in perfect holiness. Now, you say, well, that's, that's good for him, but that doesn't do anything for me. Oh, but it does because the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might become or receive or be wrapped with his perfect righteousness. So it's so important to understand that salvation is not just dealing with our sin. It also is to provide for us a righteousness, what the word the Bible likes to use is imputed righteousness. That is, it is placed on us in the same way that our sin was placed on Jesus. Our sin was imputed to him so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. So that now, when I stand before God and God looks at us, he will not see any sin because all our sin was paid for, erased, eliminated, taken away. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But to stand before him with no sin would not be enough for us to enter into heaven. Because to enter into heaven, we must also have perfect righteousness. Not just the absence of sin, but the presence of righteousness. And that's the gospel. Is that Christ took our sin, carried it away. But when we trusted him, he gave us his righteousness so that now when God looks at me he sees the righteousness of Jesus he does not see sin you say yeah but I still feel like I've got sin I'm not talking about how you feel I'm talking about what God declares as true you say, yeah, but don't I stumble in our humanity and in our, in our growing up in Christ? Yes, we, we flounder, we stumble, we fall, we mess up. But God still sees us as his children with his DNA, with his righteousness on us. It's just like with our children. We have three children. We don't have a perfect one. We don't have a perfect child. All of our children 
have been disobedient at times. They've all been lazy at times. They've all failed at times. So what did we do? Did we say, sorry, can't be our child anymore because we only want perfect children. Well, that would leave us without any children, wouldn't it? Or did we say, hey, we know that you failed, but we love you. You're still our child. And you'll always be, we'll always love you. Because you are ours. You have in you our life, our nature. You're ours. When God looks at his children, he does not see perfect children, but he does see righteous children. Completely righteous. Fully redeemed. He even calls us holy. Holy. And holiness is not something we strive for. Holiness is something we receive. And God says, you are saints. You're saints. That's the word. Saint, 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 saved. All come from the same root word that holy comes from. You're holy. You're righteous. So I don't don't feel holy. Well, you are if you've been saved, if you trust in Jesus. So those are the two ways. One is by human effort, trying to keep the law. The other is by grace through faith in what Christ has done for us. So therefore, there are two ways of interpreting all Scripture. People who are into law and effort and human striving, they will interpret every verse in the Bible through that filter and they'll read everything in the Bible as a new rule, a new rung on the ladder, a new club that God holds over them or a new challenge to do better, to try harder. The people who understand the Scripture teaching on grace and faith will read every verse in the Bible as acceptance, joyful uh, sonship, daughtership, and it will affect the way you interpret everything in the Bible. So when you come to this passage, it says, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. Those who read the Bible through the lens of law and effort will see perseverance as effort, a striving for acceptance, slavish obedience, living in fear of failure, guilt, shame, 
comparison with other Christians. It's what it leads to. It leads to, if I do succeed, if I feel like I've done a good job today, it'll lead me to a kind of spiritual pride. And if I feel like I have not lived up to it today, it'll lead me to a sense of shame and guilt and self-punishment. It'll also lead me to judging other people and comparing myself with other Christians and and it'll it'll lead to phoniness, it'll lead to pretense, it'll lead me to to trying to put forth a good image so people will think I'm doing everything right when I know deep down that I'm not. And if I feel deep down like I am doing everything right, then that just leads to kind of a pharisaical self-righteousness and a redefinition of the law. The law, incidentally, was never given to make men righteous. The law was given to reveal our unrighteousness so that we would cry out for a Savior and God would say, here he is. Okay? So, so when, when law thinking sees the word perseverance, it leads to, that means I have to try harder. When grace perspective sees the word perseverance, it sees it as continuing to fight the fight of faith. Continuing to trust in what God says, regardless of how I feel or even how I fail. That I am to fight the fight of faith because faith, the Bible says, is the victory. Faith doesn't win the victory, faith is the victory. And so it leads to a a confidently resting in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. It leads to an assurance that we are fully accepted in Him and a certainty that we already have victory in every situation. And it leads to humility in knowing that our salvation is by grace alone. Would you like to hear those again? I would. Grace and faith thinking leads to confidently resting in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. It leads us to to say, He is enough. He is enough. And then it leads to assurance that we are fully accepted in Him. Ephesians chapter 1 says we are accepted in the Beloved. So faith says I'm not accepted because of what I do. I'm accepted because of my faith in what he has done. 
And then it leads to a certainty that we already have victory. We already have victory. And, uh, and then it leads to humility in knowing that we have not saved ourselves, but our salvation is by grace alone. So that's, that's the way I read this word perseverance. It's persevering in believing what God says. It's not persevering in good works with the hope of being accepted. It is persevering in confident faith that I am accepted. And as a result of that, good works follow. See, and that's, if you read Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, you'll notice some prepositional phrases in there that are important. It's important that you see them in the order that they are. By grace, through faith, and then verse 9 I mean, verse 10, unto good works or for good works. That's the order. By grace, through faith, unto good works. Religion tries to turn it around. I do good works in hopes that I will receive Something good from God. Okay. Have I beat that horse long enough? All right. It's important. It's vital for us to understand that. Because Jesus said that there would be many people on the final day of judgment that will not enter into heaven not because they hadn't done good works, but because they had not known the Lord. They did not. He never knew them. There was never that relationship of romantic love between them and him. So that's why this is so vital. Now, there are in the Bible... Many people who had an appearance of faith, but they did not persevere in their faith. And the book of James tells us that there are some who say they have faith, but they don't have faith. They don't have saving faith. They have saying faith because saving faith results in Good works. Not the other way around. Okay? And then 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul speaks of a, a man named Demas who had been a fellow servant with Paul. It says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, I don't know that he forsook the Lord, but he did forsake Paul. But here's a man who did not persevere. He did not add perseverance because his faith failed, not his 
works. And then uh, just one or two other passages, and we'll stop for today. First Timothy chapter one verses five through seven. First Timothy one verses five through seven. The purpose of the commandment is the end. This is the purpose of the commandment is to bring us to love and a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, senseless talk. They're talking about silly stuff. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Understanding... Neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. There they're trying to teach the law, but they don't, don't even understand the purpose of the law. And then verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, that is for the purpose for which it was actually given, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, profane, for murderers of fathers and mothers, uh, murderers of mothers, and for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. They said, these are the people that the law is for. And anything else is contrary to sound doctrine. So why is the law for them? It is to bring them to realize that they're breaking God's law. And that they're under judgment so that grace can then be extended to them by faith. But he said there are those who have left the faith because they wanted to be teachers of the law. And then the last one, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. He's talking about these same people, by the way. He says, this charge... I entrust to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, that is by these promises, that you might wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Now I just want to tell you, one of the saddest things to me in the world would be for somebody to go to church all their life and depend upon their going to church, depend upon their religion, depend upon their good works, and then them to die only to hear that you never believed me. You never believed me. You didn't have faith. You, you believed in me. You believed I existed. But rather than believing me, you spent your whole life trying to impress me. And you lived in constant fear and even doubt because you wouldn't believe me. So, 
My challenge, and this, I'll preach the other half of this sermon next Sunday, but here's the important thing. God wants you to trust him, to believe him. And that's faith. Faith is believing that what God says is really true and believing it in such a way that it radically changes your life. It produces in you love and joy and peace and perseverance and all these other qualities. So my closing admonition, trust only in God. Believe what he says. Believe that he said you needed a Savior, but believe that he says you have a Savior. The price has been paid for your sin. And now the righteous robe of Christ is placed upon you, and you have been made a partaker of God's nature. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you today for your amazing grace. Lord, we could never have even come up with such an idea. All the angels in heaven still stand on tiptoe to look and see what an amazing plan you designed that you would take the guilt and the punishment for sinners. Place all that on your son so that he could drain the cup to the very bottom in order that he then might place his perfect righteousness on us when we, by faith, receive it. And I pray that if there's anyone here that has not done that, you would deliver us from self-effort and deliver us to genuine faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing just a song of invitation. We ask you, are you a Christian? You say, well, and by the way, nearly everybody in America would say yes to that question. So maybe that's not a good question. The question is, Are you trusting in him? Do you really believe that your sins are gone? That they've been taken away? And do you believe that he has robed you in his perfect righteousness? So that if you were to die today, you would stand before him to hear him say, I know you. I know you because you're my child. You've trusted me. If you need to come this morning in any way, uh, or maybe just where you are, you need to say, you know, I'm going to stop trying to please God. (laughs) I'm going to start trusting God because that's what really pleases Him. Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because faith is what pleases him. 
If you need to come, you stand as we sing. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.